If you would take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 10 this morning. Go before the Lord with a word of prayer. And Father, once again, we gathered here as a church and we bow our hearts before you, Lord. And just ask that you'll speak to us and give us guidance in how to live our lives pleasing to you, Lord, and to be able to draw near to you and, and uh, just to know you more. And we just thank you that you'll do that as, as we experience you today through your word and as you speak to us. And we thank you that you'll do that in Jesus' name. We haven't had that many wars in our country on our soil, but in the Revolutionary War, there was a lot of blood that was shed during that war. And John Adams, who was one of the founding fathers, he was quoted as saying that the bloodshed and sacrifice brought on by the American Revolution, in his opinion, he thought it was worthwhile what all took place. And that was because, you know, it gave us individual freedoms like no nation has ever known on this earth before. But the question I would ask then is, though, but did it bring us closer to God, especially as we look at where we're at today? You know, America was the grand experiment. Before America, you didn't have separation of church and state. This was the grand experiment and how it would work. And you tell me how it worked as we sit here today. But another war for three days leading up to the 4th of July in 1863, the North and the South fought at Gettysburg, and it was one of the bloodiest battles that was fought, and that was here on American soil. 56,000 casualties occurred in Gettysburg, and I've read accounts of it. They said the ground was literally saturated with blood on the soil. And the day after Gettysburg, it was the 4th of July, and it rained a steady rain that whole day in July. And it was like God was just cleansing the land from that blood. But a lot of blood was spilled. So blood was shed during the Civil War here in America. Much blood. Thousands died. But did any of that blood atone for any sins? Did it speak of any cleansed consciences? Or did it just speak of justice for the sins of our nation in slavery. And so when we see blood from people that are killed or wounded in battle, we don't think forgiveness. What do we think when we see that? We think strife. And when we see blood on a highway, say, from a terrible car wreck, we don't think peace, but we think a tragedy has taken place when that has happened. And many religions, they offer animal sacrifices to idols, to gods, and they'll sometimes even sacrifice human beings. So lives and blood are offered up to try to appease some deity's anger with the hope that, well, maybe somehow I'll get a prayer answered. And really, that's just tragedy, too, that that takes place, especially children being offered. And they still are offered up in sacrifices. So much blood has been shed in many different ways throughout the history of mankind. But no blood, and I'm not telling us anything we don't already know, but no blood of man or beast can bring man back into a right relationship with God. And there's only been one man and one man's blood that could bring forgiveness and redeem a man from the curse of sin. First Peter says this, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but we were redeemed with what? with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And many that watched the Lord Jesus Christ die on the cross on that day, they thought it was nothing more than another tragedy, that a good man had died a bloody and painful death. 
So we're talking about bloodshed in the Revolutionary War for our independence, but that blood shed then was what gave true freedom to man, more than any war ever has, that war that took place on the cross. Because listen, what we're going to look at today, without the shedding of that blood, all of us, all of mankind would have been forever cut off from the presence of God without that blood being shed. But when his flesh was torn and his blood was shed, the veil that separated man from God was torn in two. And now we're able to draw near to the living God because of that blood that was shed. So here in Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 19, we read this. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And we have a high priest over the house of God. He said, because of that, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. So the letter of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians that had left their roots in Judaism and they'd embraced the gospel and they're being persecuted as a result of that. And many of them had lost their homes and their property and they're going through a tough time and they're starting to be overcome with doubts and there's some of them are looking back and wondering, hey, maybe what are we doing leaving this old established religion that Moses gave us? What are we doing with that? And some of them had started going back the writing of Hebrew, it's filled with warnings. And it's also, what we're looking at today, though, it's also filled with encouragements. He's saying, you don't want to go back. And he starts off in the first two chapters, he's saying, listen, God in the past has spoken to us, to the people on earth, but mainly to Israel, through his prophets and through his angels. In many ways, he says he's spoken through the prophets. Sometimes visions, sometimes they would act out a prophecy. But he's saying in many ways he spoke to us through angels, through prophets, and any disobedience to that word being spoken through those mediums, he's saying was punished severely. And he's saying how much more now he has spoken to us through his son. And he goes on in Hebrews 2 to show he is so much beyond any angel. that He is God himself. He's saying we cannot neglect so great a salvation that was spoken unto us by the Lord. And he goes on to say... This new covenant is so far superior to the old covenant that you were under. And he spends all the chapters leading up to where we are, four through seven. He's saying, look at this great high priest we have. We have a great high priest, Jesus Christ. You don't want to leave him. He's not like these other priests. They grow old and die. They always have to have blood to get before the throne of God. But this priest, he never dies. He always is praying for you. And this blood, this sacrifice doesn't have to keep being repeated. It is the one final ultimate sacrifice that has forever paid the price and gives you a conscience that knows everything is right with me and God, which he says the blood of bulls and goats could never do that, could never give you that conscience. It had to just keep being repeated. It's pointing to this one final sacrifice. But here in verses 19 to 23, what's the writer? I don't believe it was Paul. I don't know who the writer of Hebrews was. But he's encouraging them and us to pray. And listen, prayer is vital to the Christian life. 
And listen, the world we live in today and what's common, we need to know and learn how to pray. And that's what he's doing here is instructing us, giving us instruction in how to pray. We've got to know how to draw near to God, to hear his voice, to know his presence, to gain strength from him if we want to survive at any time, but especially today, as crazy as things are getting almost on a daily basis. And he tells us here positively, he says, we can approach God in prayer with boldness and assurance and with confidence. I'm asking, how many of us in here, when we go to spend time with the Lord, and how many of us have days where we don't spend any time with the Lord in prayer? It's a common problem. But how many of us, when we do, we go before the Lord in boldness? Do you go to prayer assured that your prayer is being heard? And are you confident that God is there when you go into your closet and pray, wherever that is? A, a closet could be anywhere. It could be driving in your car. It could be walking. It could be in a total crowd. You can get in a closet and have communion with the Lord. But I think many of us, if we were honest, really struggle with prayer and approaching God. You read the great saints of old, and they will say prayer is never easy. And I would agree. Not true prayer. It's one of the most difficult things we'll ever do as Christians. As I'm saying, it's a hundred times easier for me to stand up here and preach than it is to spend a lot of time in prayer. It's a hundred times easier to read your Bible than it is to shut that Bible and spend good quality time in prayer. And all of us know, you all know what I'm saying, it's true. Amen. It's just because the devil will really fight you there. That's where he's going to be defeated primarily is in our prayer. And he gives three reasons here. If you pay attention today, three reasons in this text that we struggle with prayer. And one of them is, we'll look at it first, we're going to look at all three, but it's because we're coming into the presence of a holy God, into the holiest. That's one re reason we struggle, and we also struggle is because when we get on our knees and begin to say, Father, guess what happens? We have a conscience that starts speaking and doesn't stop, and we have to deal with that. And also, the other thing is, the old, you get on your knees and you just feel unworthy. I just feel polluted. It's not any one thing. I just feel unworthy to come before the Lord. And we all struggle with those three things. And right here, he's going to give us some help and encouragement and how to deal with that. Because he hasn't just left us with these struggles, these obstacles that we can't overcome. But listen, just to sum it up in one sentence, the answer to all this, to overcome these obstacles, is found in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I was talking about that blood. But look at this first obstacle we come to, this first reason prayer can be difficult is right here in our first verse, verse 19. He says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. What is the holiest? What's he talking about there? Now, if you look over in chapter 9, he talks about what was the earthly holiest, or the holy of holies. So turn over to chapter 9, and beginning in verse 1, we'll read through verse 7. And it describes this earthly tabernacle. He says, Then, verily, the first covenant also had ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary, for there was a tabernacle made. The first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the shoe bread, 
which is called the sanctuary. So you have this big tabernacle, this big tent, and you can walk into the first part of it, and there he's saying there's the candlestick, the table with the bread on it, and actually the prayer incense altar was outside of that too. Then there was a veil. Then beyond that, there was an inner sanctuary, and that's what he talks about here in verse 3. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, and here's what we're talking about, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer, the Ark of the Covenant, overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the gold pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables, the law is what he's talking about, the tables of the covenant. And over it, the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. So the, any priest could go in and change out the bread, light the candles. They could do all that. But look what it says here in verse 7. But into the second, the holy of holies, went the high priest alone once every year and not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. Where this Ark of the Covenant is, this is where God himself literally dwelt. And it's called the Holy of Holies, or the Holiest. And it was so holy that when the priest went in there, he had to have these little bells on his garment. Because they're listening for that out there. Because guess what? If that tinkling of those bells stops, that means that God's holiness literally consumed that priest. That was it. Holiness of God, it was an incredible place. And the God of the universe literally abode there. One man can enter once a year, and only that with blood. You think about it. You're going into this place, the God of the universe dwelling there, who is a consuming fire. That's what the writer goes on to talk about in Hebrews 12. He says, our God is a consuming fire. I mean, you would not lightly go into the holiest of holies. No one would. And the only entrance through that we just read was through blood. So you put yourself, imagine you are that high priest, and you're going to enter into that holy of holies, and you pull back that veil, and suddenly you would have to be in a totally different atmosphere than what you were before, because God himself is manifested in there. The living presence of the pure and holy God. He's walking into that. Would have filled that room. And the only thing that kept him alive, that kept him from being consumed, was what? The blood. If he didn't have that blood, he would have been consumed by the holiness of God. And that's the same thing that's true with us, isn't it? It really is. So where is this holiest today when it says here, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiness? There's not a literal tabernacle, but we come before the presence of God. There's not a literal tabernacle made up in heaven. It's his throne and all that is around his throne. Because it talks about the tabernacle now that God dwells in is not made with hands. It's not like there's just a big room up in heaven. But the problem is... When we are walking in sin and our sins are not pushed under the blood of Jesus, we won't come into the presence of God. It'll keep us out. And David wrote this in Psalm 66. He says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And a person knows that. Not sin that you've repented of or that you want to repent of, but sin that you're living in. If you regard it that way, 
and it's staying there and you're not going to do anything about it, it says the Lord won't hear you and you won't pray. That's number one hindrance to keep people from prayer is when they're living in sin. And so we need help, don't we? We really do. We are desperate. So like Adam in the garden, our sins can block us from the presence of God like a flaming sword that is blocking that entrance. But listen, the answer to that problem for all of us is found in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So look in chapter 9, look in verse 11. It says this, But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, this is the tabernacle God dwells in. It's not made with hands. That is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the puring of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, what will that blood of Christ do? We're wanting to enter into the presence of God. What will it do? It says what at the end there? It will purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So it is only through the blood of Jesus that we can enter into the presence of God and come before his throne. And listen, do we realize what a special privilege it is? I mean, it really is. Because before Jesus came, think about it. I've got a room full of people I'm looking at now. All of you can do what the, only the high priest could do in Israel. Only one man out of that whole nation was allowed to do what every single person in this room can do now. What a privilege that is to enter into the presence of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't have to have a mediator. Some priests do it for us and wonder what's going on. We can enter in ourselves. I mean, that is just a tremendous privilege. You know, there's many places that only the privilege can enter. We realize that, don't we? I mean, you know, you want to know how hard it is to get in the White House? Take a trip to Washington and try. I mean, you can get a ticket and get in the White House, but you think you're going to have an audience with the president? It ain't going to happen, more than likely, right? Now, there's not a flaming sword there like there was in the garden. There's a literal swarm, S-W-A-R-M, of Secret Service agents that are going to keep you away from the president. So if you're thinking, well, I don't really care. I don't really like the current president. I don't. Well, then try to go visit the Pope. You aren't going to see him either. And listen, they call him His Holiness. But what is the Pope and His Holiness? People can't get in to see him, but what is he compared to the God of the universe, the holy God of the universe? And yet we can't see the president. We can't see the Pope, but we have a free invitation to see our Lord, our Heavenly Father. It's a tremendous privilege. You almost can't say how great a privilege it is and how much of an honor it is that we can call him Father. Our Father, who art in heaven. And what do we say after that? Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed means holy. He's dwelling in holiness. He's a Father. Yes, he's our Father. But he is one that's to be respected. I mean, people that make... Prayers that are just flippant and no respect for God. They don't know the God of the Bible. And songs that are that way, that are just flippant about God. That is not the God of the Bible. He is holy. A consuming fire. And yes, he's a God of love. And he is our father. But 
He is due our utmost respect, and truly, I hate the word awe and awesome, but this is one case when it can be used and not overused when it comes to God Almighty. So listen to what it says about him. We're just going to lightly come into the presence of the Lord. When it says this, he only has immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. And, you know, all of the biblical accounts, when the presence of God comes upon even the saints, they are struck to the ground in awe with his presence. The pre-incarnate Christ struck to the ground, almost don't know what to say. They have to be lifted up. All their strength leaves them. This is the God we're talking about. And his presence is compared to light. Light so pure that no man can approach it. Listen to what it says, though, in 1 John. This, then, is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But, he says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another. Now, that doesn't mean we have to be sinless perfection, but if our hearts are right and we've repented, our sins have been under the blood, and we walk in the light in the truth as he is in the light, we can have fellowship with that God. And it goes on to say, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. There again, it's the blood that enables us to have that fellowship with almighty God, our father. And that's how we enter this secret place, this holiest. That's what is back in verse 19 again. Having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, not anyway, but by, it says, by the blood of Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, if we knew what an honor it is when we go to God in prayer, whose presence we're entering into, and we're conscious of that, I mean, we wouldn't fall asleep as much. We just wouldn't have as much problems with prayer if we would just think about who it is, presence we're coming into when we do that. And so if you would put something there and turn back to 1 Kings 8. 1 Kings 8, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel, unto King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is in Zion. This is God's presence coming here to the temple. And all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the Ark. And they brought up the Ark of the Lord and the tabernacle of the congregation and all the holy vessels which were in the tabernacle. Even those did the priests and the Levites bring up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be told or numbered for multitude. And the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord into his place, into the oracle of the house, to the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubims. For the cherubims spread forth their two wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark and the staves thereof above. And they drew out the staves that the ends of the staves were seen out in the holy place before the oracle, and they were not seen without. And there they are unto this day. And there was nothing in the ark save the two tables of stone which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant 
with the children of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And look what happens here in verses 10 and 11. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. And there is his presence come into the holy of holies. And there it would be. And it says they could not even stand. And that's just an earthly manifestation of his glory. But this is the God that we can come before and pray. And he will hear us. And we can come before his throne. Listen, and it's a right now, like I said, for all of God's people, not just the high priest. And that wasn't known until Jesus died. Never known until he died and shed his blood. When that happened, guess what happened? Now there is a new and living way or road to the throne of God. Back in Hebrews 10, look in verse 20. It says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus did what? It created a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Now, those of you that are hunters, you'd be interested to know that that Greek word for new, it means freshly killed, an animal that is freshly killed. So, in other words, this new and living way, this isn't roadkill that's been laying around for a while. No, this is freshly killed meat, so to speak. That's the idea that's given here. Freshly killed meat. You know, you don't have to serve dinner to somebody and, yeah, this is roadkill I picked up. You know, this is what we're having for dinner. No, this is fresh meat that I just killed. And that's what this is saying here. This is a new and a living way. It's not the old way of ritual, the old dead way of ritual that I grew up with as a Catholic. And I can remember as a Catholic boy being forced to go to church and just sitting there and you go through the same ritual, the same prayers week after week. I remember thinking as a little boy, there has got to be more to experiencing God than this. And there is. Now, the ritual for the Old Testament saint would not have been boring per se, not to a godly person. But listen, all that ritual, all those prayers, all that same old thing, all the animals being sacrificed, he's saying now it is a new and a living way is what's being offered. And for me, I got under a church like this and the faith message I heard, I'm like, this is life. This is a new and living way to God, to experience God, other than what I had growing up. As a child, and it's a living way, coming into the living God. I mean, God is not just a dead piece of wood like they would worship in the Old Testament. He's not a statue, or he's not a God that just doesn't exist. A God that's just a figment of people's imaginations. You know, a lot of people, they pray to God, but they haven't come in the new and living way. They're praying to God. He overlooks sex. He doesn't care about stealing. He doesn't care about profanity, pride, or injustice. And it's not a living way because that God leaves the dead dead that come to him in prayer. Those kinds of gods, right? But our God is not dead but living, and he is a living God that gives life. And that's why it says it's a new and living way. And we sing the song. It's one of my favorite songs. I have never gotten tired of it. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and so shall I be saved from mine enemies. And I love it when it goes into the Lord liveth. We serve a living God. 
and blessed be my rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. So the path we take as Christians is a new path, a fresh path to, that brings us to the living God. And it's been opened how? How has that path been opened? How was that holiest opened up in the Old Testament? The veil was torn, was it not? Was torn in two. And that's what it says here in verse 20. That new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. So Jesus was wounded for our transgressions, as it says in Isaiah 53. When that happened, God forever removed any obstacle for us to come into his presence. And anymore, we don't have to be afraid of him like Adam was in the garden. God had to come searching for Adam. It wasn't a new and living way opened up to him, no. After he sinned, it says, when he heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Adam and his wife, they hid themselves. Didn't have that access anymore from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where are you? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. He said, and I was afraid. And with this new and living way, we don't have to be afraid to come into God's presence anymore. Adam says, I was afraid because I was naked. My shame was exposed. Shame and guilt. And he said, I hid myself. Now listen, isn't that the way it is for sinners when our conscience is convicting us? We're ashamed and it keeps us from the presence of the Lord. You know, before I got saved, one time I went to a service like this up in Ohio my sister took me to. And listen, it wasn't like the Catholic services I had been. I mean, they wouldn't have convicted Charles Manson of anything. And I'm saying, I got in that service, and I was not a Christian, and I was not living a good life. And I got in there in the presence of God, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. I had to get out. I had to get out and smoke a cigarette. I'm like, how did I get myself in this situation, being in this church, coming and visiting this church? Because that's the way it is when our conscience is convicting us and our hearts are right. We can't stand to be in the presence of the Lord, and we want to hide ourselves. And so that's why we have to keep things Clear, keep our conscience clear. But look what it says in verse 19. It doesn't have to be that one anymore. He says, having therefore, brethren, boldness. No longer running from God. That's not the way we have to approach prayer. We can have boldness. And that is fearless confidence, cheerful courage. That's what that word boldness means. No longer afraid. No longer afraid of this consuming fire that's going to strike us dead. Because of the blood of Jesus, we don't have to be afraid like that anymore. Don't have to cower, think God doesn't like us or doesn't want to hear from us. We can come because we've got courage now, boldness, not because of our personal holiness, but why? We just read because of his blood and because he sacrificed his flesh. So that's what we consciously need to do, I believe, when we come before the presence of the Lord, is make sure our lives, any sin in our life, all of that is consciously put under the blood of Jesus so we know that we have that access. So that's the first thing he says. We have boldness to enter by the blood of Jesus. And the second thing he says there is, verse 21, and we have a high priest who is over the house of God. A high priest that watches over and prays over the entire house of God, all the people of God. And so do you count yourselves in here today as one of the people of God? Have you truly given your heart to the Lord? Then the Bible promises you, it says it right here in the book of Hebrews, there is somebody that is praying for you at all times. 
but somebody else might forget or they might get busy or they have to fall asleep but not the Lord Jesus Christ so if you would just turn back to chapter 7 just page or two back a high priest who is over watching over the house of God in Hebrews 7 verses 22 to 28 it says but by so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament and they truly were many priests because they had not suffered to continue by reason of death but this man the Lord Jesus Christ because he continuous forever has an unchangeable priesthood wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him seeing what does he do he ever lives to make intercession for them for us for such an high priest becomes us who was holy harmless undefiled separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens who needs not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice first for his own sins and then for the people's sins for this he did once when he offered up himself for the law maketh men high priests which have infirmity but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the son who is consecrated forevermore but it says there in verse 25 he is able to save to the uttermost them and there is our word for draw near they come unto God come unto God by him and he is ever living to make intercession for us ever prays for us constantly and that should be a great comfort if you're in a trial I mean just remember that you think man is anyone praying for me there is somebody praying for you we just read it if you're a Christian the Lord Jesus Christ is praying for us at all times and we need to remember that I said it should be a great comfort but he not only prays this great high priest but he also it says he watches over us he will give us grace to help us when we're struggling with sin and temptation turn back to chapter 4 Hebrews chapter 4 beginning in verse 14 here it's talking about and a lot of similarity will point out in the language between this and our verse in chapter 10 but it says in verse 14 seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens Jesus the Son of God because of that he says let us hold fast our profession for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin look what he says let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need and so look how many similarities there are between this and the verses that we read earlier a great high priest and we talked about let us hold fast to the profession of our faith and it talks about coming boldly before the throne there's a lot of similarities here between these and so he's there to help us our great high priest and he can at all times 24 hours a day and so you're somebody say you're battling with lust and it's temptation is coming and it's just a real struggle for you that is the time you go to him and ask him say I'm trying to resist this I'm not wanting to give in to this sin and I need your help and it says there that he will let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we will obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need he'll send an angel to strengthen you if he needs to that's what God did for the Lord Jesus Christ in the garden when he needed to be strengthened he will do that or say you're going through depression come boldly to the throne of grace God will help you whatever it is you're battling today he is a sympathetic high priest that's what it's saying when it says there in verse 15 
the one that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He's saying there, he is somebody that is affected. He's been affected by the same feeling. Whatever your struggle is, depression, lust, anger, worry, anxiety, Jesus has experienced that without sin. He knows what you're going through. You can think, man, I don't know anybody that feels like I do right now. He does, and he has. He's gone and experienced that yet without giving in to the temptation. And so he can come and help you. Believe me, he will. But we have to remember to go to him and cry out to him when we need help. And that probably should be all the time. It is for me. <laughs> but God knows what it's like. And he says, because of those two things, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood and a great high priest, we should do something. Back in chapter 10, verse 22, he says, because of those two things, verse 22, he says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And we should draw near to God. So we're talking about people struggle with prayer. They avoid prayer. They don't. Can you hear? It's like the writer of Hebrews is waving his arm. Come on, let us draw near. Because of these things I've just talked about, come on and come to the throne of God. It's an invitation. You should hear God's voice speaking through his word. Come to me. Come to me. I'll, I'm praying for you. I'll help you in your trials. I'll be there. Come to me through the blood. I sacrificed myself so that you could come. Take advantage of what I'm giving you. That's really what I see him pleading here. So, you know, sometimes when you have opportunity to talk to somebody important, people are kind of like, ah, why would he want to talk? Oh, no, I want to introduce you. Oh, no, why would he want to talk to me? And we get kind of timid. And you almost have to drag them up there to say, hey, yeah, this, this person will talk to you. They're not as bad as they seem. But we don't need to feel that way about God, our Father. He's the one that set up the system, so to speak. And he's saying, please, come to me. Draw near. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ died. But there's two conditions he gives here in verse 22. And one of them is, we have to draw near, he says, with a true heart. And what is a true heart? It's not like just anybody can come any way they want to. A true heart means a sincere heart, one without hypocrisy. And we talked about that. You've got to bring your sins out. Let God forgive you of your sins. Be honest about your life with him. And he'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. And that's the way you have to come before him. He says, with a true heart and also with full assurance. And once you've done that, once you've asked God to forgive you and you know you've repented, you've got to come to him with full assurance that God will accept you. It means a state of complete certainty. I'm not wondering now about when I go to pray, am I wasting my time? He's saying, no, you can know that. You can have full assurance. So there's somebody ask you, do you think it's right when God says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, do you think it's right to doubt what he says then and not to go on and come to him? You know, Hebrews 11:6, just over on the other page, it says, because without faith, it is impossible. You say you want to please God. It says without that faith, it is impossible to please him. And here is our word for draw near, for he that cometh to God. It's the same word. He that draws near to God in prayer must what? You have to believe that he is and that he will reward you for diligently seeking him. That's what he's telling us there. So why would we doubt? And we talked about that. It was the same thing. When it says that Jesus 
drew to bring us to God to be that faithful high priest over in Hebrews 7.25. And that's the purpose. We have to see that the purpose that Jesus came and took on flesh and suffered and died on that cross is so that he could bring us back into fellowship with God, back into his presence. 1 Peter 3.18 says this, For Christ also has suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. You ever thought about that verse? 1 Peter 3.18, Christ suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Why? He says that. This is, it's a purpose word. Why did he do that? That he might bring us to God. Jesus died to bring us to the Father. Back in the fellowship that we had lost, back in the garden. That is the purpose. To lead us. If the picture is the Lord Jesus Christ has taken you by the hand and bringing you to the throne. Here, I died so this could happen. Let me lead you into the presence of my Father. That's the picture you get with that. And he'll take your trembling hand and your timid heart and bring us to the Father. All is well, is what he would say. I like this, what John Owen said. I like everything John Owen, but I thought this was good. And he was a godly person that knew about prayer. And the Puritans, a lot of their emphasis was on communion with the Lord, spending time with the Lord, spending time with the Lord in prayer, getting to know him, fellowshipping with him, meditating on him, knowing the Lord. And I don't know, do we do that well? But listen to what he said. He said, Christ is our best friend, and ere long will be our only friend. And I pray God with all my heart that I may be weary of everything else but converse and communion with him. And he said, friendship is most maintained by frequent visits. And I think if we would just consciously take what we're hearing, deal with our conscience, deal with our lives, and bring ourselves to the Lord and look at him as a friend, as a father, holy and respect him, yes but someone that we can have communion. That is the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ dying, to restore us back to that communion with our Heavenly Father. So he tells us, here's how it can happen. Verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. And we've talked about this, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And like I said earlier, you know, it is no sooner... Unless you're different than me, when you get down to pray and your conscience starts speaking to you, it starts reminding you of everything you've done, <laughs> how wicked you are, telling you you're a liar because you called in work and told him you were sick and all you wanted to do was go golfing or whatever, or you're a thief, you took that dollar that didn't belong to you, or what are you doing? You were checking out that girl the other day. Everything your conscience starts telling you to try to get you off your knees and say, what's the use? He's not saying they don't have an evil conscience. It may be what your conscience is telling you is true. But you're like, I want my heart to be right with the Lord. And I repent. I'm turning from that. I just want him to purge me from that. He's saying, do that. Let us draw near with the heart of full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Because the conscience does what? If you have sin, it's telling you that, hey, you need to be punished. It's not unfair with what it's saying, right? That God is holy and just, and that's what will keep us from his presence. And David, when he had sinned with Bathsheba, said this, I acknowledge my transgressions. And he says what? My sin is ever before me. 
He's got that conscious of it, what he's done. It was accusing him, but what was his answer? He didn't leave it there. He's pleading with God. Read Psalm 51. He says, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, Lord, blot out my transgressions. And that's what we need to do. According to thy tender mercies, Lord, not because of my righteous life, I'm coming before you. Blot out my transgressions. Blot out these sins that my conscience is accusing me of. It is true, every sin, and we know it inside, has to be punished. But what we need to tell the devil in our conscience is, when we've repented, that sin of mine was punished. It's not been left unpunished. It goes back to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He took that punishment. My sin was punished. And now I'm free because of his blood. But it's not just your conscience. We talked about the other thing was that inward pollution Sometimes you feel like that needs to be washed away. And here's what David also said in Psalm 51. He said to the Lord, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, he says, You shall make me to know wisdom. And listen to his prayer. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. This is more than just blotting out the record. He's saying, I want to know this inward purity so that I can maintain this communion with the Lord. Cast me not away from thy presence. Wasn't that his prayer? And he says, create in me, we sing the song, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Oh, yeah, and what happens when all that happens? What does he go on to say? Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. The joy of that communion with the Lord is back. That's where that's coming from. So we can look to the cross. That's how we can have a sincere heart and full assurance in seeing that our sins were really punished, as I said. Any lying, stealing, anger, lust, adultery, pride, any of it, it has been punished on the cross on our Lord Jesus Christ. He took that punishment for the sins we've done before and after salvation. We're all going to need to have that forgiveness. And we can come to the Lord, praise God, without a guilty conscience. We can. We can come to our Heavenly Father. We can draw near to God and pray for help in time of need. Worship Him for who He is, our Father who is in heaven. We can pray for our loved ones, knowing that God will move on their behalf. And we can go to Him with His Word and experience fellowship with Him, that He will speak to us through that Word, because everything's all right, and experience His holy presence. And so he goes on to say, because of all that, verse 23, we should never give up. Let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And so we should hold on, he's saying, to that confident hope, that confident expectation that we're saved, and we will see the full manifestation of the kingdom of God one day. And for right now, we can still experience a whole lot of it. Healing, deliverance, joy, peace. But he's saying, don't give up. Don't give up what God has for you. Hold fast to your profession of faith or hope, that confident expectation. And that means hold fast to you and adhere firmly like super glue. I got super glue, man, I get that stuff on my fingers. You can't hardly get your fingers apart. You can't hardly get it off. See, and just, we need to hold fast to God for these reasons, for this communion we have, that like a bulldog who has his grip on a bone that you can't get it out. And why should we hold fast? What does he say? Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our body washed with water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? 
for he is faithful that promised. And here's what he told Joshua. He said, and behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. This is what Joshua told him. And everyone is going to go that way one day. And this should be our confession, though, when that day comes for us. The way of all the earth, death. And he told the people, he said, you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. He says, not one thing that God promised you has failed. You know that in your hearts, that God is faithful. That's what he's saying here in Hebrews. Let us hold fast without wavering. Why? Because God is faithful. We can hold on to any promise. Now, one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. He said, all are come to pass unto you, and not one thing has failed thereof. Can we say amen to that? We really should. We all know Second Chronicles says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. And sometimes you hear that word perfect heart and you think, man, I, I can't say I got a perfect heart. And it can be discouraging. But you got to understand what a perfect heart is. And some other translations kind of help us understand that. Other ones say whose heart is completely his. He'll show himself strong on someone whose heart is completely his. Or those that are devoted to him. Or those whose heart are fully committed to him. All of those describe what is meant by perfect and let me ask you, do you not think you can have a heart that is fully devoted to the Lord? We can, can't we? There's no reason not to. That's what Jesus says in Luke 14. If anyone wants to come after me, you've got to deny everything else. Take up your cross and follow me. That's what he says. That's never changed. And that's all he means by a perfect heart. A heart that's just devoted to him. That doesn't mean you might not fail occasionally. But your heart is devoted to following him, walking in his ways, living to please the Lord. That's what he's talking about. And God says a person like that, his eyes are looking for people like that, especially in this day and age and especially in America. And he says, I will show myself strong to a person like that, that is devoted to me. And doing what we read today, coming to me in prayer. And so I would say... Mother's Day, we have much to be thankful for today based on what we just read. We do because we have a privilege that very few people have or know about. Most people on earth don't know about this. There's only one God and there's only one way to that God and most people have no clue about it. I mean literally billions upon billions of people on this earth have no idea about what we just read today that it is possible to come into the presence the holy presence of the living God through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is the only way into his presence. And I'm saying, we have the privilege of knowing that. What an honor. It's something to be thankful for, something to think about today. Not only that, we have a great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is always there for us. If we would just remember that, he's always there for us, our living Savior, always praying for us, never sleeping. We're sleeping, and he's still praying for us, is what it says. He's our 24-hour 9-11. You can wake up at any time, and you're going through something. You can talk to the Lord, and he's there to help you. 
and he's not unsympathetic, he'll give us grace and mercy to help. And so because of that, we're exhorted to come near to the throne of God, that unspeakable privilege. We don't have to be timid. We're encouraged to do it. That's why he died, like I said, come there with a single heart of assurance that God will hear us. He died on the cross so we could draw an eye to God. And don't let your conscience keep you away. Not if you've repented. Just repent and know that that sin was punished on the cross. And then we just need to hold fast. After we've done all that, we need to hold fast to our profession of faith. Because God will fulfill everything we go to prayer in him about. He is faithful. He is faithful. We may not be faithful, and we may not be trusting him, but no one is going to trust him in vain. Or I'm saying, I'd just throw my Bible away if I couldn't believe and trust that. That's the word we've heard. Amen? And it should still excite us that if he says, I am the Lord that healeth thee, he is the Lord that heals us. And we don't have to be afraid of that. And we don't have to be afraid to step out and trust that. He's never failed his people. That's what he told Joshua. He made promises, and they put their lives in danger going in there fighting those people that were a lot bigger than them. But he said, when you did that and you stepped down in faith, he said, not one word of anything I told you failed to come to pass. And that's the way it is. If our heart's right and we're in communion with the Lord and we step out on a promise that he's given us, we don't have to worry that it's not going to work because God Almighty is the one that is backing his word. Amen? It's not because some preacher gave this message. It's because he says it in the Bible. And we can trust that. The word of the living God. Amen. <laughs> so, something to rejoice in on Mother's Day. Amen. Much to think on. It's the day that the Lord is made. And we don't know that we'll have another one. And so, let's spend some time today. It's the Lord's Day. And let's spend some time at some point today and draw near to him and commune with him and just spend some time with the Lord. Take a break, even if it's before you go to bed. Amen. And then let's do it every day. <laughs> All right. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we're just so thankful, Lord, for this honor, this great honor and privilege that we have, Father, that we can come into your presence boldly because of the blood of Jesus, that he died to give us this privilege. We're just so thankful for that, Father, and I just ask that you'll impress that on all of our hearts, and that we'll all be encouraged, Lord, that today and throughout this week and throughout the rest of our lives, Lord, to not be timid in prayer and to come to you with confident assurance that you want us to be there. You died to get us there, and you will hear our prayers, and you will let us walk with you and commune with you. And we thank you for that honor and privilege you've given us, and I ask that everyone in here, Lord, that you'll let everyone in here hear the sound of your voice when you say, draw near. I died that you could draw near and cause us all to do that. We thank you for your presence and your word to us today, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand to your feet.